The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 432 for September 14th, 2014. Apple announces two new iPhones, a watch, and a mobile payment platform. T-Mobile's latest promotions are all about Wi-Fi, and Google Voice finally gets some much-needed attention. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Coppice. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android, the iOS, and Windows Phone 8 for $1.99. Well, jumping right into the main event of the week, Apple on Tuesday announcing not only two new phones, but also a brand new Apple Watch at its media event on Tuesday. Now, starting with the iPhone, there are two new devices known as the iPhone 6 and the iPhone 6 Plus. Both have a design similar to the iPad Air, more curved than the 5 and 5S design language, all smooth save for a protruding camera module that goes on the backside of it. The phones have an ion exchange glass front that's not sapphire, an anodized aluminum frame, and Retina HD displays that measure 4.7 inches and 5.5 inches respectively. The smaller screen of the iPhone 6 has a 1334 by 750 pixel or 326 pixels per inch. That's one million pixels on that display and the larger sized 6 plus has 1920 by 1080 pixels or 401 pixels per inch and 2 million total pixels on that screen for the 6 plus that means 185 percent more pixels than the current iphone 5 and 5s the iphone 6 measures 6.9 millimeters thick and the 6 plus measuring 7.1 millimeters both thinner than the 7.6 millimeter iPhone 5S. The iPhone 6 Plus offers landscaped optimized applications such as a two panel view in messaging and email, along with a wider keyboard with more keys, including cut, copy, and paste. A new feature called reachability was announced and this allows the double touch of the home button and then the whole display slides down, moving the UI elements normally positioned at the top of the screen down so they're much easier to reach with a single hand. The sleep wake button has also been moved on both both devices now located on the right side of the device, not the top, making it easier to reach again while using it one-handed. Now, content will scale up to match whatever device is being used, even if the original content was created for the smaller-sized iPhones. All 1.3 million applications in the App Store will be compatible with both new devices. Both devices feature a 64-bit A8 processor that uses the 20-nanometer process that Apple says is 20% faster than the iPhone 5S's A7 chip and provides a 50% bump in graphics performance. Since 2007, the iPhone is 50 times faster than that original phone that it announced just a short seven years ago. Now with graphics performance at 84 times faster than the original iPhone. Further, the A8, a significantly more efficient chip, is offering the ability to run at a higher sustained clock speed as well than the prior A7. Battery life is equal to or better across every metric on both devices. The 6 Plus's larger battery offers the best life between the devices, up to 80 hours of audio, 24 hours of 3G talk time, and on down the line, just more battery all around. The iPhones also use Apple's M8 Motion coprocessor to help manage sensors for fit fitness applications. The sensors are able to differentiate between cycling and walking and can calculate speed and elevation changes through the use of a barometer. Advanced wireless capabilities are also built in with 150 megabit per second LTE speeds through carrier aggregation across 20 different LTE bands, more than any other smartphone for worldwide roaming. 
200 carriers around the world will be able to take advantage of the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus. Now, VoiceOver LTE is now part of the iPhone handsets as well, and this allows for pushing of phone calls over the data network that will also offer simultaneous voice and data across all carriers that are implementing VoiceOver LTE. Apple is working with carriers around the world to implement it, including Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile here in the U.S. Quick side note, VoiceOver LTE will be here in the States for Verizon sometime later this year. We still don't know when that's going to be for a customer to make and receive a VoiceOver LTE call. Both parties must have VoiceOver LTE enabled on their devices and, of course, be in an area where it is available. So you will have that voice and data at the same time, but it won't be consistently on each call, at least not yet. So keep that in mind for uh, when you're making your decision here if you're going to be getting one of these devices. Now, there's also faster Wi-Fi, 802.11ac, three times faster than previous standards, over 400 megabits per second. Wi-Fi calling, also now available on select carriers, currently T-Mobile in the U.S. and EE in the U.K., more carriers to come, uh, including AT&T, who said they will be implementing it. The Verizon said they have no plans at this point to roll out Wi-Fi calling. The camera has also been upgraded with an all-new EyeSight 8-megapixel camera. It's got dual True Tone flash, an f2.2 aperture, and an all-new sensor. One new technology is Focus Pixels. This has pairs of pixels that read the light coming in from objects, and it also is doing phase detection autofocus, which is used by high-end DSLR cameras. Focusing happens about twice as fast and uh, then before and panoramas are now up to 43 megapixels there's also a new gyroscope which makes stitching of panoramas nearly seamless the only feature different between the new phones and the camera is optical image stabilization found only in the 6 plus and that is helping to keep photos more in focus when taking pictures in less than ideal situations a quick note about that that will only stabilize the person taking the picture of course you know blurry and uh, quick motion subjects that you're taking a picture of are not fixed by the optical image stabilization it's only for shaky hands now video camera still 1080p but it uses uh, up to 60 frames per second now versus the previous 30 and uh, the also the slow motion video has been upped from uh, 120 frames per second to 240 frames per second and also a new time-lapse video is built into iOS 8 as well and you can also get continuous autofocus depending on how you're shooting your videos. New silicon cases are will be available for both iPhones in six different colors for either $35 or $39 each depending on the size and there's also new leather cases five different colors there at $45 or $49 depending on the size and if you choose the 6 or 6 plus the phone itself comes in gold silver and space gray so all in all we hear we saw uh you know basically everything we kind of saw leaked as far as the physical design goes it's something that uh it really does fit with the the new ipad design as you mentioned earlier in nice rounded corner smooth you know easy to grip but it is very thin and and you know we've got uh just minor incremental updates here, nothing huge, uh, you know, different changes, nothing earth shattering. But all in all, it's just a, you know, a, a typical Apple upgrade. It's a new design language, though, and I think that's what really is getting a lot of people uh, with this one is that you've got something that just looks different. And, and you know, this is always kind of the, the interesting thing about Apple is you've got the TikTok. You've got on the Tick side, that's the iPhone 4, the iPhone 5, the iPhone 6. And then, of course, there was the 4S, 5S, and, and ultimately, I'm sure we'll see a 6S and a 6S Plus as well. And those are going to look just about identical to what you see here today announced next year. And uh, we'll have some pretty, pretty beefy specs to go on top 
of it. So definitely a worthwhile upgrade. But if you're looking for the brand new uh, look and you want a phone that for the next two years is going to look like uh, what is the latest out there, this is the one. That's just how Apple does it. Exactly. And it, it's great for cases. You know, obviously there's a little bit of changes between the 4 and the 4S, but, you know, they keep it pretty much where they're compatible. And that's awfully nice for somebody who has that. Um, what I'm thinking here that, you know, there's a few things that stood out for me as, as positives is first they uh, kept the, sw- the ringer switch. You know, I, I'm, I'm always w- wary that that's going to go away someday just because, um, you know, that t- to me reminds me of the, the palm trios where you could switch that back, you know, back and forth in your pocket without having to dig it out. I use that feature all the time to be able to, you know, discreetly uh, flip the vibrate switch on also to keep things muted. Um, other things that we saw that were really interesting were the, uh, you know, the, the increase in screen size, but also the, the higher DPI of the 6 Plus. And that's uh, kind of a divergence here compared to all the other iPhone releases where now it's not just capacity you're deciding on. It is, you know, basically two different phones to choose from now. One's got, you know, the optic Im- image stabilization and the other one's got a higher res screen and, of course, a little bit more battery life on the, on the bigger model. So this does give uh, you a choice, which is a little different. Yeah, it is. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of back and forth with this. There was a uh, there's an, an infographic, if you will, floating around out there about how the specs here of the iPhone 6 are essentially mirrored to those of the Nexus 4 that was released back in 2012. Now, that doesn't mean that what you're buying here is uh, is an antiquated device, although you could, I guess, think about it that way. Um, but, you know, having a, a screen that is not 1080p or in Samsung's case, the 2K displays that are on the the, the likes of the Note 4, um, it does doesn't check all the boxes for the highest and best and specs that are out there. But you know what? People don't care. People love their iPhones. People love buying these devices uh, because they they work for them. They they take care of the needs that they have, and that's all okay. But you have to keep in mind that when you're buying an iPhone, what you're buying into is the ecosystem, and you're buying into a device that is is something that you're comfortable with, and it's got it's got a uh, a feature set that may not be as much as what you have out there with uh, traditional Android phones. So again, you know, with the uh, with this update, it's nothing earth shattering. And, and, and what this allows you to do is if you're, you know, someone who got an iPhone 5S fairly recently, or even uh, last year when the iPhone 5S was released, you see this new phone, you're like, you know what, I don't really need it this year. And that's what's, uh, you know, that's what's so nice about these kind of, you know, granted, the, the physical design changed, but it's not anything where you think, oh, my current phone is completely useless and completely outdated now uh, unless some of the other you know like the payment systems here uh, that that we're going to talk about soon uh is something you really really need yeah and this is a this is the, the kind of the, the the way that they go about it is that they, they will they will they obviously have to come out with new stuff i mean that's that's kind of part of what they do right but um but yeah to your point if you bought a 5s within the last year you're probably sitting you know kind of sitting there going yeah I, yeah maybe a bigger screen would be okay or maybe you aren't maybe you're saying you know i like this size in fact i've been thinking about that here as i've been going through the week and kind of going how am i going to actually feel about having a phone that's that's larger than what i have right now i i just I'm not really sure about it yet. So we'll see kind of how that plays out. And uh, if you're going from 
a, a five or five S all the way to the six plus, or think about if you're going from a 3.5 inch four or four S all the way to the six plus, that is a big difference. And it's going to be uncomfortable to use when you first get it. So, uh, and a piece of advice for anyone who ordered a six plus, when you get it, just give it some time. I've used the note devices in the past, and I can tell you they, they are shockingly large when you first start to use them. And over time, you just, you start to, to modify your behavior and how you're using them. So, uh, just, you just wait for it and, and just kind of use it and hopefully it'll meet your needs and take advantage of the return period if at the at the end of it you cannot uh, make it part of your daily workflow uh, if you will so iPhone 6 starts at $199 for the 16 gig model. And for the first time, Apple not only doubles, but quadruples the storage for only $100 more. So 64 gigabytes is only $299. Also, a new 128 gigabyte model is available for $399. So double the storage from where the $399 price point used to be all the way up to uh, 128 gigs. 6 Plus, available for $100 more in each capacity, or $299, $399, and $499, respectively. The 5S drops to $99 on contract, and the 5C is still available for free on contract. All pricing, of course, requiring that two-year typical contract. The new phones will be available starting on Friday, September 19th in the U.S. and eight other countries. Pre-order started this past Friday. Apple plans to have the devices in 115 countries by the end of the year. As far as iOS 8, it will be available to existing iOS devices starting this coming Wednesday, September 17th, compatible with the iPhone 5S, 5C, and 4S, as well as the iPad 2, iPad, and Retina Display. Also, the iPad Air, iPad Mini, and iPad Mini with Retina Display, and the iPod 5th generation there as well. So that is the new iPhone. Uh, we're going to talk about it at the end about what we both decided to do. But let's keep going here with the Apple announcements because they just kept rolling. Next up, Apple announcing its intent to reshape the way people pay for goods and services with a service they're calling Apple Pay. Rather than develop a system that benefits Apple, Apple said it's designed Apple Apple Pay, so it offers the best user experience possible for consumers. It involves tapping the phone against a compatible terminal and using a, the fingerprint reader on the phone to verify the purchase. The phone now has an NFC antenna built into the top of the device, and Apple stores the user's credit card information in a secure element on the phone, so it's encrypted and secure. Apple Pay integrates uh, the Apple Passbook application, which collects and manages loyalty cards and similar programs. According to Apple, iPhone owners can use the credit card that they already have on file with iTunes and of course add others Visa, MasterCard, and Amex are supporting Apple Pay in the U.S. with banks such as Chase, Citi, Wells Fargo, Capital One, and Bank of America in there as well. When adding new cards, Apple contacts the financial institution to verify the card is owned by the person adding it, so you've got an extra layer of security. And then when you add that new card, the information is transmitted uh, is not that of your credit card, but it's actually a device-only account number. So each time you pay, they use the one-time payment number with a dynamic security code. So if your iPhone is ever lost, you can suspend all payments from the device. Since the credit card is not stored on the device itself, there's no reason to cancel the card. Apple will not collect any information about what you purchase or how much it costs. The cashier doesn't get to see any information either about the transaction. The Apple Pay system will be supported, like I said, by Visa, MasterCard, and American Express, along with those banks. And uh, Discover Card has said that they will be coming soon, although no timeline on that. The system, though, can also be used with 220,000 retailers across the U.S. at uh, such locations such as Macy's, Bloomingdale's, Walgreens, 
Dwayne Reed, Subway, McDonald's, Whole Foods, Staples, Subway, and others. Regarding online payments, one-touch checkout has also been created. This includes large retailers such as Target, Groupon, Uber, Panera, MLB, and one of the most interesting ones to me, OpenTable. Others will have the functionality added into their app. So, uh, it's very interesting here on Open Table. So uh, you use this to set your reservations right now for a restaurant, but then when you get done with the meal, that meal information gets transmitted over to Open Table, and you can pay for the meal directly from your phone, which is a huge, huge deal because uh, that is one of the places where you don't get to see what happens with your credit card. That's a restaurant, and it walks away in a server's hands, and you never know where it's going. Yeah, and they can, uh, you know, the, the the possibility for skimming and all that is just greatly increased when you're at restaurants and. And of course, the you know you, you, the, the the chance of them having a mobile terminal to read your NFC device is just nil. I've not seen it before, so I don't think it exists. Um, the uh, the 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 best thing about this this payment system is that you've got no way to um, you know have your information taken right off the card because it's you know it's a one time use thing goes right through the uh, the machine like like you said as a as a payment ID. And it's just a secure way to do it. So I absolutely love this. And of course, it harkens right back to the Google Wallet uh, when when the Nexus 4S had that uh, had that launch in there with the NFC. And I used it back then. I loved it then. But it was just something where there was just still today the the number of retailers that accept it are still very 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 limited. Yeah, and you know we started off this this piece of the the conversation that they were doing it in a way that was going to be the best user experience for consumers. But here's the deal. Apple Pay works with the top banks um, issuers out there. They handle 83% of all credit card purchase volume. Apple Pay uh, will be part of the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus. It will be launching in October, so don't plan to use it just yet when you get your new iPhones. But here's the thing. Apple is rumored to be getting 0.15% of each transaction over Apple Pay. Now, so the question, the question about that is that I, I had about this. I thought, okay, so 0.15%. So generally, the credit card companies, I think, are taking 3% of a transaction or something like that. But here, here's what this means. So as part of their announcement, they said, Apple said that $12 billion per day is spent on credit cards. So let's just take an arbitrary percentage, but we'll just say this is good. And we're going to say 10% of all the payments in the U.S. eventually here make its way and are happening over Apple Pay. That's $1.8 million per day that Apple is going to get through this process. Over the course of a year, that's two-thirds of a billion dollars in a brand new revenue stream they've just created. That's a, that's a Fortune 500 company. No questions asked about it. It's just amazing what they've just done here by creating this new feature that they say is directly for consumers. Yeah, and if we can get to the point where the credit card companies can reduce their fees down because of uh, you know merchant prices and the liability risk that will be reduced because of uh, moving to this more secure payment system, it actually will save us all money in the long run. If in fact they 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 you know uh, cut their prices a little bit, uh, I don't I don't think they will, but it's possible they could. Yeah, well, it, it's uh, very interesting how we've they've just kind of come up with this, and it's all of a sudden it, it's the, the must-have thing, right? Everyone's going to be talking about this. I saw some stuff this week that both Best Buy and Walmart are not planning to support this. Their their mobile payment readers um, or their payment readers that support mobile are not going to have Apple Pay built in. But you know what? I guess they don't have to do it. This is what they've chosen to do. 
Well, you know what it's going to be? It's going to be, well, either beat them or join them. And of course, that's not really going to, to work with the likes of Apple. And, and Apple really is the only company that could pull something like this off. I mean, we've seen a couple of, uh, you know, groups of company try this. But again, you know, as Apple pointed out during the, the, the keynote that, you know, they, they work towards, they work, you know, they, they create the product for themselves, not for the end user to actually be user friendly or to make it easy for retailers to use or, or make it easy for the person, you know, the, the actual customer to use. So this is, this is where Apple does things a little bit differently. I mean, obviously this is for their gain as a company, but uh, I think for the, the average user, this will be something that will actually work and probably be something that uh, will really quite possibly be something to, to, you know, disruptive technology to take over, you know, payments in, in general. I think it will. I, I Obviously, I'm not throwing out my wallet just yet. There's uh, going to be a lot of uh, retailers that don't take it right off the bat. So it's going to be it's going to be a little bit of time, but it's certainly exciting to have something that uh, like this that is going to definitely encourage me to use it because it is there and it is more secure. Well, and the timing of this is uh, it's definitely appropriate timing because it, in 2015 here, retailers are, are basically going to be forced by the credit card companies to switch to a chip and pin system, something more secure than our current magnetic stripe. Uh, and if they don't, if retailers don't switch to this, that means they're now liable for, the, uh, for fraud that occurs at their location. So if somebody comes in with a stolen credit card and charges something, or if somebody uh, you know, says that this, this was a fraudulent charge, after the fact, the retailer is now going to be on the line uh, compared to today's uh, the way it works today. The credit card company eats those charges. So if they don't have that secure system in place by that time, it will uh, come down to the retailer. So now that Apple's timed this right now, now instead of or in addition to the chip and pin uh, system. Now they'll say, okay, well, let's spec in the NFC readers while we're at it here. And this is where this is where it becomes the perfect opportunity for Apple to launch us right at this point, right when retailers are going to have to make this transition anyway. So why not support this particular uh, pay system? Now, as an aside, there is another mobile payment system out there. It used to be called Isis. We now know it's now called SoftCard. Uh, they announced this week they're actively working with Apple to enable SoftCard on the iPhone next year. So in 2015, that's according to CEO Michael Abbott. SoftCard also said Apple's decision to support NFC is very significant and it sets the stage for rapid scale adoption of mobile commerce. And I, I couldn't agree more with that. Whether or not you have been using Google Wallet and have been using these services uh, that it, that uh, that allow for mobile payments over NFC for a while, this is this is going to be extremely helpful in this type of uh, environment because it's it's uh, so many more people um, are, are going to be now becoming aware of this and it's no longer going to be kind of a niche technology. It's going to become much more mainstream as a result. So that's very exciting stuff, uh, if, if for nothing else. You know, it really is. And, and, you know, since I use my Nexus 4S, I don't even know how many years ago that was, uh, you know, to make, you know, to buy stuff at McDonald's, but you'd have to go in. You couldn't do it at the drive through. So um, it, it's, it's one of these things. I don't know if you've ever seen anybody do a mobile payment on a device anywhere, but I have not that that the, the, when I did it on my iPhone is the only time I've ever seen it done. Yeah. Uh, and your Nexus, not your iPhone. I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, yeah. exactly. The Nexus. And I'm the same way. I think I did it once at a McDonald's to get a cup of coffee or something just to try it out. And it was just baffling. Like 
people just didn't quite understand what was even going on. You know, it was like, what, what's happening here? What, what have you just done with your phone? And you've now, you know, procured a good with a, you know, <laughs> something here. So anyway, it's very interesting stuff. It's going to feel like magic for a while. That is uh, for sure. It's, it's a pretty neat thing. So uh, anyway, that's mobile payments and Apple Pay. Finally, Apple announcing a highly anticipated new wearable that they are calling Apple Watch. It's not the iWatch. Don't call it the iWatch. Even though Tim Cook called it the iWatch, it is the Apple Watch. Uh, the device has an overall square shape with rounded side edges surrounding a sapphire touchscreen display. So this is where sapphire comes in, at least for now. Uh, the Apple Watch will be available in two sizes, in both silver and gold, and will be compatible in, with six different straps. There are three distinct collections, including Apple Watch, Apple Watch Sport, and Apple Watch Edition. That's the 18-karat gold edition that is two times as strong as standard gold, Apple calling it the most personal device they've ever created. Apple says it is synced with the universal time standards and will be accurate within 50 milliseconds. Apple Watch is used as a personal health and fitness tracker thanks to a trio of sensors that are built in. Apple also worked hard to redefine the user interface, which is entirely different than that of iOS. It features a physical dial on the side that they're calling the digital crown. It's used to zoom in and out of whatever is on the screen. And when you have a list, it scrolls through that list. A press of the crown will take you back to the home screen as for handling and navigation through the device you can pan and scroll around the device on the touchscreen of the watch rotating the crown will zoom in and out and launching an app is done by tapping on the app a gesture called force touch or pressing hard allows for editing of the custom app settings on the device another gesture called glances is accessed by swiping up from the bottom of the screen swiping down goes back to the watch face Taptic feedback, not haptic, but taptic feedback provides a subtle notification on the user's wrist of an incoming message or alert. Raising your wrist brings up the notification in the foreground. Actionable notifications are also present and can dynamically be, be based on the application and message received through a quick board providing contextual options, i.e. responding to a message, deleting an email, or uh, accepting a uh, an invite from a friend on a social network. Also, emoji and voice messages are our Siri transcribed messages can be easily sent through the watch as well. It does have a speaker and microphone on it, so Siri functionality is built in for use on the go. The Taptic Feedback for Apple Maps offers Taptic Feedback in a way that doesn't require the user to look at the watch to know which way to turn, so you'll get different feedback sent over to your wrist so you'll feel which way you need to turn as you're walking down the street. Digital Touch is activated by pressing the button below the digital crown, and this launches what looks like a contact screen, a contact screen, Simple information, taps, and other doodles can be then sent over the digital touch. This is about the only gimmicky portion in my mind uh, that we've seen on this where you can send hearts and pulse rates and stuff like that to other friends and sort of interesting and, again, sort of kind of hokey and uh, very novel if nothing else. WatchKit is the SDK for developers that will allow for third parties to create rich experiences such as retweeting, checking sports scores, unlocking a hotel door, and checking into a flight all done right from the watch. Health and fitness is also very important to Apple. They've incorporated two main applications into the watch, one for tracking your daily activity and one for workouts. The workout app allows you to set specific goals for workouts like running or cycling. The ultimate goal is to greatly improve the way that we're tracking how active we are and how often it's happening. Charging of the device is done through a magnetic inductive charger that aligns automatically on the back of the phone. Apple Watch will start at uh, selling for $349, available in early 2015, 
no dates on this yet. Apple Pay will also work in the Apple Watch thanks to built-in NFC. So that means if you've got an Apple iPhone 5 or greater and you pair it with the Apple Watch, you can then use Apple Pay thanks to that built-in NFC of the watch. And just to clarify that, you do need an iPhone 5 or above in order to use the Apple Watch is what they said. It it doesn't require an Apple iPhone all the time, but if you're going to be using the, you know, especially some of the features, you do need an iPhone uh, with it. I think you probably needed to set it up and all that, but you can go uh, and use your watch without having the, the iPhone with you, especially if you're you know, exercising, for example, is what I read. So that's a good point. And just to clarify and build on that, what about the security of paying for things with that Apple Watch? Both iMore and Cult of Mac reported that when a user first puts on the watch, they must type in a PIN code to authorize Apple Pay. And then once the watch is on, it has it, it uses the constant skin contact with the user, which you can then sense using the four sapphire-covered lenses on the under, underside of the device. That will continue to authorize payments. So once the device is removed, Moved from a user's wrist, they must re-enter their pin when putting the device back on their wrist in order to make it work. So keep that in mind that that is how the security of this thing is going to work. So obviously my prediction that it could be a very, very simple wearable device is not true. Apple went full uh, full bore and created, you know, the uh, complete uh, interactive, uh, you know, high-end style, you know, screen with touchscreen and, and multi-press sensitive, depending on how hard you press it, and an interface method that's very different. Um, but it is something that's uh, going to be in two sizes. It seems like a lot of the rumors we read were correct uh, about the the, uh, the the Apple Watch. We didn't see any any visuals of it, but it's something that uh, they probably don't have any you know production models of yet anyway. So we nobody would have really probably recognized it even if they were doing prototypes. It's interesting that they've got some pretty high end models that are uh, expected to be well over a thousand dollars for the gold versions, and uh, the three hundred fifty dollar they didn't clarify the. Uh, uh, if the bands were going to be included in that price. So I wouldn't be surprised if they're not, uh, if, if it's something that you have to buy separately on top of the $350. I, I'm not sure, but maybe. Uh, battery life, of course, is one big, huge question mark, and it sounds like it's going to be one day. It's something that's going to require charging every night. It's not a multi-day device. And, you know, that's uh, obviously we're going to see it sometime early next year, but uh, we don't exactly know when. Yeah, it's a it's going to be a very interesting transition here as we we see this thing roll out because so many people have been looking to the wearable as kind of the next generation, next piece of, uh, you know, disruptive technology that's going to come into our lives. You know, it's it's interesting how we, we continue to build on this type of stuff. Everyone seemingly now has a smartphone, has, you know, we're starting to see more tablets. Is the wearable going to be that next must-have thing? It is uh, very interesting to think about just how much you're having to charge and plug in at night every time <laughs> you go home. Uh, but, uh, you know, yet this is, this is one of those things that, um, you know, a watch or something a wearable on your wrist is a fashion thing uh, and this is something that we've ultimately you know as a society have really put a, a, a strong value on we love our watches watches are a very interesting thing for us and we it's it's not only fashion but it's function and it's also uh, kind of a status symbol if you will as well so it's all it's all very interesting here and the iWatch is is going to be very customizable different looks different sizes different bands all of that and so it's going to be one of those things it's going to continue to be that piece of fashion for a lot of people yeah and I don't predict it to be a huge huge selling device like phones are because it's just not going to provide that functionality for a lot of people but 
I think it's a. I think it's a device that will end up being profitable in the long run for for Apple and probably you know be pretty useful for people that do have smartphones because uh, I, I think it would be very handy to look at my watch real quick to see what kind of emails coming in or what kind of text messages coming in. Yeah, I do too, and I, I would love to be able to do something with them <laughs> as well. Is that I get an email and a lot of times it's something that maybe I don't care about or it's it's a I just want to triage it real quick and once I've seen it I want to get rid of it and um, I would love to, to to see especially like on the the mail application or Gmail as an example something comes in I look at it uh, we just there was a, an earthquake that just happened here it was a, like a 3.0 and it was no big deal whatever that email came in and I had to go and find it and delete it but I would love to just look at the watch hit delete and move on and go okay fine uh, you know and I get a lot of inst, you know information like that that comes through on things like that or uh, LinkedIn, uh, you know, you get a, a request from somebody to connect on LinkedIn or Facebook or something like that. Just let me let me flip through it real quick and accept it or delete it. I, I just I want to help to kind of speed up a lot of that process, right? So a lot of stuff going on, uh, you know, that you can you can really hopefully take advantage of this. Or email comes in, you want to see who it's from. I mean, the uses are are endless here, and I think that is it, it's it's not something that uh, Apple has uh, you know created from the ground up here. Obviously, Android Wear is doing a lot of this already. Pebble is 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 integrated a lot of this with their devices but there's there's a lot of them out there apple is just creating something that complements and goes with their ecosystem yeah basically that's it i mean it's really nothing new but it's something that's by apple and of course it gets a lot of attention because they they do a lot of work to uh to really make sure the usability is there and and people can figure it out even the people that are really tech geeks so this is going to be of course the you know kind of the disruptive technology again where they're not creating something brand new but they are improving on what already exists yeah so one thing not announced in the keynote, uh, but released later in the day, uh, was uh, the iCloud pricing has now been finalized. So you can now get 20 gigabytes for $1 a month. So 12 bucks a year will get you 200 gigabytes, excuse me, 20 gigabytes of data. That goes up to 200 gigabytes for $4 a month, 500 gigs for $10 a month and one terabyte for $20 a month. Very similar in price to the competing offers by Google. It's now available by going to iCloud on your mobile device and choosing to buy more storage. And that's quite a bit cheaper than it currently is. Right now you get five uh, gigabytes for free with uh, iDevices with your one account, I guess it would be more so to be more accurate. And of course, this is going to be really necessary in the future to upgrade to more storage because they're changing the way PhotoStream works with iOS 8. So your photo photo Photos are going to count against you now, uh, but it's a different. It's not just a photo stream where there's a thousand or thirty days of photo stream. So now they're going to be there as long as you say they're going to be there. So this is. It's going to be a little bit different. Of course, it's also going to be called you know iCloud Drive, so that you can store files and everything. They're like a normal uh, file system, more so like Drive or Dropbox. And this is going to be interesting to see just how much of this can be integrated. I've I've got a great hierarchy of photos that I've been keeping for the past fifteen years. I'm all ready to move them over. Uh, it's just a matter of when this is going to take. I probably have 75 gigs or something like that. So the 200 gig plan will work out just fine for me. Less than 50 bucks a year. Hey, that's that's fine by me. I'm happy to, to pay it and uh, to be able to have all of my photos available all the time on my device wherever I go. I really like this idea. So I'm looking forward to this. 
and uh, being able to do uh, some different things with photos here. Now on the carrier side, Apple's iPhone 6 and 6 Plus will support Sprint's tri-band LTE Spark service, giving Sprint a boost since it's relying on Spark to set it apart from other carriers for LTE speeds. It is unclear how much of an advantage that will give Sprint as it works to deploy the Spark network, especially because the new phone does not support carrier uh, aggregation for Sprint's 2.5 gigahertz spectrum. While Sprint appears to have scored a victory with the bands in the new phones, other carriers were not as lucky. The new iPhones do not support band 12 LTE or the 700 megahertz A block band class 12. This phone supports LTE band 13, which is the 700 megahertz upper C block and band 17, which are used by both Verizon and AT&T respectively for their primary LTE services. A number of other wireless carriers like T-Mobile, C Spire, and US Cellular own 700 megahertz band 12 spectrum. So just to clarify there, that is not included here as a band that is supported with this device. So if you're picking up this device for T-Mobile, certainly you will have LTE, but that brand new 700 megahertz band 12 spectrum, the stuff we talked about last week on the show that the new Galaxy Note 4 supports, these iPhones do not support. So if you're buying a phone, you already have a band missing on T-Mobile if that's who you're deciding to go with. Just keep that in mind. You'll still have service. It's not going to be a problem. It's just you've got this extra spectrum that will increase capacity for, uh, for those different carriers. Also from Sprint, the iPhone 6 leasing program allows subscribers to obtain a phone for zero down, followed by 24 monthly payments of $20 for the 16-gig version. The 64-gig model costs $25 a month, and the 128-gig model costs $30 a month. After two years, customers can turn the device in and receive a next-generation iPhone under the same terms. The iPhone 6 Plus will cost $5 more per month for each storage variant. Additionally, Sprint said the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus will be eligible for the new Simply Unlimited plan that offers unlimited talk, text, and data for just $50 a month on a single line. Verizon Wireless will offer customers the iPhone 6 for free when they trade in an old iPhone. The iPhone 4, 4S, 5, 5C, and 5S qualify for that deal. It provides a $200 credit towards the iPhone 6 16-gig device when a customer signs a new two-year contract. That trade-in offer not available for the iPhone 6 Plus. Now from AT&T, CEO Ralph De La Vega on Friday said the company would not be offering Wi-Fi calling on its devices until sometime next year. Wi-Fi calling has been available for years, but has come to the forefront with, of course, the new iOS and iPhones. T-Mobile announced this week they had plans to expand Wi-Fi calling to all its smartphones with the new in-home hotspot. We'll get to that more later. Uh, but according to AT&T, they're very focused on making sure the great experience for customers is there and that Wi-Fi calling is a complement and not a replacement. Uh, De La Vega said, we feel good about great nationwide networks uh, with our unlimited talk and text. Wi-Fi calling passes voice calls and texts over a local Wi-Fi network rather than the macro cellular network. So how did the pre-ordering go? Well, good if you're Apple, perhaps a little difficult if you were trying to order it though overnight. Apple revealed that overnight pre-orders for the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus set a new record in response to the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus has been incredible according to Apple with a record number of pre-orders overnight. Users trying to order at midnight on Friday were met with sluggish carrier sites and Apple's own site didn't open for pre-ordering until over an hour into the day itself. So it took them quite a while to open it up and you were not ordering uh, directly from apple.com. So let's talk a little bit about here about what we did and uh, and and how it went for us here. So, um, you know, I got up at uh, midnight. In fact, I just stayed up because it was only midnight and, uh, and, and got through on the Apple store app on the ipad to order two to uh, 64 gig uh devices for verizon i got one silver one black 
and uh, got both of those ordered really with with relative ease once I figured out that you were able to go into the application and do that. That took uh, almost an hour, though, uh, before that happened, and by the time I actually went to bed, it still was not up. Uh, the Apple site was not up. I had a lot of problems with Verizon. That's how I was initially trying to do it, to get it processed through that way, and it just flat out didn't work for me, and I kept getting errors on there. So um, I've got uh, two iPhones on the way, and I've got two leather cases. The only thing I could not get ordered was the silicon case, um, in fact, I'll be picking the phones up on, uh, on Friday. I'm not actually having them shipped, uh, but I do have the cases being shipped out to me. So that was my experience. It took about an hour. Um, you know, ultimately it's just one of those things I wanted to make sure I was able to, uh, to, to, to secure it. In fact, looking today, which is now almost 72 hours later, you can still get that same device that I stayed up late to get and still have it delivered by Friday. So there's definitely a lot more capacity this year. It's not on every device that's out there, but the, the one that I particularly ordered is still available. Yeah, and the 6 Plus is definitely the hot device, or or they just have a very limited quantity of it. That's already out, uh, looks like almost November is what you're going to have to wait if you even order one right now. So it's definitely the uh, the tougher device to get a hold of, uh, the, the 6 Plus. And for me, I ended up having to, uh, I ended up waking up at some time about 3.30 my time, which was about an hour and a half after the pre-order was supposed to open. And if it was an hour late, then I guess it wouldn't have, uh, it would have been more like a half hour. And just for the heck of it, I just tried to order pre or pre-order one because my eligibility date on Verizon is not uh, till next Sunday, oddly enough. And uh, because it, it because either the, the system was busy or because I'm on a business account, it told me that it couldn't quite figure it out and, and, and put me in line for a uh, for a reservation anyway. So then about an hour and a half later, an email did get sent out to me saying that I've got an iPhone that I could pre-order. Uh, so I did try it at that point and then it uh, rejected me because it was a Verizon business account. So if you have a business account, don't even bother to try to do a pre-order through Apple at all because they just cannot uh, access that system at all. So uh, basically, I have to wait uh, for my upgrade eligibility, and I'll have to do it through Verizon's uh, website. So it's interesting. You and I both got our devices on the same day, launch day for the iPhone 5, two years ago, which is the 21st. And so that is when my contract is up as well. But because I have a consumer account, uh, I was able to do the upgrade uh, prior to the contract end date. Yeah, so the odd thing is what, what happened is uh, my my phone line was imported from a personal account, which it was on at that point, to a business account. And for some reason, all the r- regular uh, phones that were even purchased on the business account had like an 18-month or 20-month uh, upgrade date versus my phone, which was the only one got stuck with the date of the contract date as the eligibility for the upgrade date. So I'm kind of an odd, uh, it's kind of an odd situation I have here with that particular uh, upgrade eligibility date. Well, it's uh, ultimately going to, you know, you'll you'll probably still get one here and you'll get it relatively soon. It's just not on that day on Friday, but uh, that that's just how it goes sometimes. And it sounds like the capacity is there. So hopefully you'll be able to get one within just a, a week or two at the very most after that happens. Well, let's talk about some other news here this week. There were other things that happened. First up, FCC Chairman Tom Wheeler on Wednesday said the agency will take a very critical look at any proposed mergers between wireless companies. According to Wheeler, he said, we will continue to be skeptical of efforts to achieve scale through the consolidation of major players. 
he said at the CTIA trade show in Las Vegas. Sprint and its parent company, SoftBank, abandoned plans to acquire T-Mobile just last month after meeting with resistance from lawmakers. The FCC also shot down AT&T's purchase of T-Mobile in 2011. The FCC repeatedly has suggested it prefers to have four national wireless network operators for increased competition. Wheeler also warned that the FCC yet may yet take a more active interest in regulating how they manage networks. One of the constant themes on the record is for consumers increasingly relying on mobile broadband as an important pathway to access the internet. In AT&T news, Cricket on Wednesday announcing a promotion that doubles the amount of data for customers and keeps its monthly rate the same. Starting September 13th, the $35 a month plan using AutoPay is known as the basic plan that will offer one gig of high speed data instead of the previous 500 megabytes. The $45 smart plan will offer three gigs up from 2.5 gigs and the $55 pro plan includes 10 gigs of data instead of the previous five. All plans cost an extra $5 a month without AutoPay. Existing customers on these plans will automatically be upgraded to the higher data allotments. Once a customer uses up the high speed data, data is throttled to 128 kilobits per second. The offer is for a limited time, and customers taking advantage of it will be able to keep their larger data allotment after the offer expires. T-Mobile on Monday announced that it is beating the trade-in offers by any of its competitors up to a week after a customer trades in an old smartphone. The company said it plans to track tech track the market value of most common smartphones and will offer the best possible price for trade-ins. However, if a customer finds a better trade-in price from a national carrier, T-Mobile will match it and pay an additional $50 in credit. The offer starts September 17th and is for a limited time. Customers have up to seven days to contact T-Mobile following a trade-in to bring a higher price forward for matching. Sprint followed the T-Mobile announcement by matching the trade-in move to increase the appeal of its program. Sprint will beat and match, match and beat all of AT&T T-Mobile and Verizon's buyback pricing on all lines of service to ensure the best trading in values. According to Sprint, T-Mobile's program is limited to one trade-in per line. Sprint's program isn't offering a $50 in additional credit, but they will accept up to three trades per line and up to five trade-ins per calendar year. Further, Sprint customers can trade in old devices at any time. Sprint offers up to $300 for trade-ins, depending on the condition of the phone, which can then be put towards the purchase or a credit on an account. In news about its network, T-Mobile on Monday said that it's working with other carriers to offer LTE roaming, targeting the ability to increase the footprint of LTE across the country. T-Mobile expects to have at least some LTE roaming agreements in place before the end of the year. Then in big news on Wednesday, T-Mobile made its uncarrier 7.0 announcements, this time making Wi-Fi at the center of the stage here and Wi-Fi calling available to all postpaid customers for free. The move was announced at an event in San Francisco and is meant to help provide improved voice coverage in locations where T-Mobile's network doesn't reach on any open network. T-Mobile also debuted a service that they're calling the Personal Cell Spot. This is a Wi-Fi hotspot made by Asus. It requires a $25 deposit but is otherwise free for customers, and it works with existing in-home internet service. The Cell Spot will permit T-Mobile customers to experience high-quality Wi-Fi calls when at home and prioritizes voice functionality over data functionality. 
functionality. So if you've got someone who's using all your bandwidth in your home and you jump on a voice call using the cell spot, that traffic will be prioritized so your calls will not drop out. The new phones sold by T-Mobile, including the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus, will have the new functionality built in, while older devices will receive an update to gain the new Wi-Fi calling features. The personal cell spot will remain private. Only those with the Wi-Fi password will be able to use it for calls and messaging. The Wi-Fi calling feature is free for use for all customers. T-Mobile also announcing a very interesting partnership. This is with GoGo. The in-flight calling sir, or, uh, internet service will let customers send and receive SMS and MMS messages from GoGo equipped airplanes. The in-flight messaging service goes live on September 17th and is free for all T-Mobile customers. The service will work with select phones at launch, including the Samsung Galaxy S5, Apple iPhone 5S, HTC One, and LG G3, among others. More will be added over time. T-Mobile's uncarrier initiatives are an effort to disrupt traditional mobile service, and the company began uncoupling device costs from its services in 2013, then went on to add several additional incentives to encourage customers to switch to the carrier, including paying early termination fees, offering a jump upgrade program, unlimited texting and 2G data in 100 countries, free streaming music from Spotify, RDO, iTunes Radio, and more, and one week free, week free trials to test out T-Mobile service. So one thing with the Wi-Fi calling, that is, it, you know, it's a really neat feature. I mean, as long as you've got a good enough internet connection at the where you are where you have your Wi-Fi connected to it, you know, and I start thinking, you know, places like coffee shops and libraries, I, I don't know if their Wi-Fi is good enough, solid enough, and low, low enough latency to actually make phone calls uh, over those networks. But if you're at home and you've got a decent enough router and decent enough connection, you probably will be much better off using that service versus your cellular. And it seems, you know, because you've got uh, obviously closer proximity to it and you don't have to worry about the, the, the towers and everything. But it seems like more and more today, Mickey, that drop calls and, and issues of phone calls seem to be more and more prevalent. And I'm not sure if that's just uh, perception or not, but uh, even with Verizon, it, it seems like actually making and, and, and holding phone calls is becoming more and more difficult. It, it, it does seem that way, although I would argue that uh, as we're making less phone calls, uh, perhaps it's just becoming more apparent because on the calls that you're on, maybe you're, you're doing them and uh, it's uh, because it's a more priority thing. And so you get dropped and it's it, and to your point, maybe it's just a perception, but I, I'm not sure. Um, I find this very interesting. Um, you know, I really got uh, swept up in this marketing uh, a little bit this week and I really like the idea and I was, you know, talking with uh um, to, to my wife about this and we were trying to decide uh, whether or not we were going to stick with Verizon or, or jump over, over to T-Mobile and you know one of the things she said was it, it cannot affect our, our voice calling and uh, T-Mobile service is appears to be a little bit shaky uh, in uh, where we live and so I'm not I wasn't totally comfortable with that and I thought well maybe the the Wi-Fi calling feature here can be can be something that can offset that but at the same time it, it the Wi-Fi service that we have here in our house, you know, depending on where you are, if you're upstairs or in different areas and it, that can be flaky as well. So, um, and ultimately we just decided we'll stick with Verizon for now because voice calling is, is pretty solid with them. Don't ever have any issues. So, um, you know, but I, I, I gotta say, you know, I, I popped in the, uh, the, that free SIM that I have from T-Mobile where you get the 200 megs a month for free for tablet use and, uh, walked around and did a little testing of T-Mobile this week. And, 
was generally pretty impressed with it. Uh, LTE service in most places uh, drops off to 4G in, in an occasional spot. But of course, we know the HSPA Plus network is pretty robust with them as well. But here's the thing. As soon as you start to get low service, it's like T-Mobile is either pretty decent or non-existent. And uh, that that's what ultimately was concerning to me. Uh, and, and I just said, you know what? I, I just can't make the change right now. I, I can't I can't handle the, the processing here of, of, of jumping networks and, and dealing with all of this stuff. So... <clears throat> Not to say that I won't in the future, uh, but it is is certainly interesting here. I also started thinking about all these great things that they offer, um, and I thought, wow, you know, I love the fact that they have free streaming music. Uh, and then I went and looked at at the amount of streaming music that I have actually done, and it's like 500 megs in a month. I mean, it's it's not. I mean, it's it's a it's a lot, but at the same time, it's not it's not a huge amount when I've got eight an eight gig plan. Uh, you know, it's really cool to see. Okay, they've got free GoGo texting on flights. Um, I don't fly all that often, maybe just a couple of times a year. So that's, it's interesting, but not ultimately that important. Free unlimited texting and 2G data is cool. I don't travel internationally. Um, you know, I mean, it was all these things where it was like, this is all great stuff and they're offering some really neat things, but ultimately it comes down to, you know, what I think is going to be the best for me. And I'm not sure that it's Verizon by the way. Uh, but that's just where I'm at today in, in with it. So if you're someone who can take advantage of T-Mobile and you know, they've got good service where you are and you're looking to save some money because boy, I got to tell you, this would have switching over to T-Mobile would save me just a ton of money if I had to pay for both of my lines, if one of them wasn't a business line. So, um, it would be, it would be very interesting to, uh, to do that. I think it was two lines with three gigs of data for each and tablet line with data. And it was like a hundred bucks a month or something like that. So crazy uh, how much money you can save you if you're looking to do so. So check that out. They're offering some really good stuff here. I really like what T-Mobile's doing. They're really going after the consumer here in some great ways. And they seem to have a pretty solid network from, uh, from best I can tell. Uh, it's just uh, not something that I was willing to make a switch over to at this very moment. So good stuff there, though, from T-Mobile. Jumping over to device news here. First up from Amazon. Amazon and AT&T on Monday announcing that the Fire Phone is now available for only $0.99 cents with a two-year contract. That same fold phone sold for $200 uh, just a couple of days ago. When it launched uh, two months ago, that $200 price point came into play. The Fire Phone is uh, available for zero down and at eighteen seventy five a month for 24 months on AT&T Next. Keep in mind, you still get that free Prime membership for a year when you buy this phone as well. So that could be something to still sway you if you want to jump over and get that. Motorola on Sunday said customers can begin pre-ordering its new products beginning on September 16th. The Moto X for AT&T and the Moto X Pure Edition are both available for pre-ordering on Tuesday. The AT&T Moto X costs $100 with new contract and the Moto X Pure Edition running stock and Android 4.4 KitKat and an unlocked bootloader costs $500. Other uh, carriers plan to announce availability soon. In addition to the phones, the Moto Hint wireless earbud and the Moto Turbo Charger will also be available. The Hint costs $150 and the Turbo Charger costs $35. As a reminder, that Turbo Charger can add eight hours of battery life to your Moto X in just 15 minutes of charging thanks to 15 amp charging in there. Lastly, Motorola said that the Moto 360 smartwatch will be back in stores on Tuesday in stock that is in stores on Tuesday though quantities will be limited in software news at long last Google voice for the iPhone has been updated Joey I think I saw some pigs flying across the sunset sky this past week version 1.6 of Google voice is notable for bringing a new design and matching the guidelines found in iOS 7 finally the final change log includes an updated interface to match that
that iOS 7 guideline, bug fixes and improvements performance performances, support for Google Voice integration in Hangouts, and requires iOS 6 or higher. Now, Joey, if they would only release an iPad version. And now you'll have to wait a year, year and a half for an iPhone 6 and iPhone 6 Plus optimized version as well. Yeah, well, you know, we can we can be happy with what we've got here at the very least. It looks very nice. It's much easier uh, on the eyes, I would say. And I'm just I'm excited just to see that there. So uh, great news from uh, from Google with that one. Now, not the only thing we heard this week. Google Hangouts finally has integration with Google Voice. We've been talking about this and hoping for it for quite a while. This means that on Android, SMS messages will finally show up in Google Hangouts. A couple of things happen with that. First is that you'll only need one application moving forward that'd be hangouts of course and to send and receive text messages and hangouts messages they will all come through the same app though voice messages through google voice are unknown it also means that you'll be able to get traditional text messages through the hangouts extension in chrome which is very cool Uh, you'll also be able to make free calls through hangouts on the web as well as android and ios devices this is actually really neat if you're someone who doesn't have the plug-in uh, or doesn't want to have to have Gmail loaded all the time, but you have the Hangouts extension installed uh, for texting back and forth, which I do, and I use actually quite a bit with uh, friends and family. I can do Hangouts stuff, and then I can also pop on there and make a voice call through Hangouts on the computer as well. So I actually installed Hangouts on my iPad and iPhone uh, this week, seeing some of this recent news uh, for the uh updated integration now they don't require google plus to actually use this and that was one of the reasons why i did it however if you want to send pictures back and forth like imessage or mms you do need a google plus account so there is some uh, major limitation there they made it so you can do video calls without google plus now using just the app but uh, to send pictures back and forth you still need that and that's uh, a major major bummer as far as having something to uh, communicate with google and Android users that aren't on iMessage. Yeah, and I, I, I knew that you had installed it. Uh, I heard it ring earlier, and it's a very distinct uh, ring that it comes through with. And of course, it's, it's very interesting because the phone, uh, the application itself <clears throat> rings when you get a call on Google Voice a good probably two to three seconds before you get the phone call come through. Yeah, and that's about exactly what it was. Uh, I forgot that uh, that support is now on the iPad and didn't turn the uh, mute switch on before starting the recording. So should have done that, but uh, I'll know that in the future. And of course, I didn't even know what that sound was at first because I've only heard it twice. And uh, it's something that's kind of neat that gives you the ability to to make and receive phone calls on your iPad, you know, you with a speakerphone, uh, before we're getting the continuity features here of the the iOS 8 and the Mac OS uh, with the with the new things coming in iOS 8. So it's, it is interesting because I do have a I have one spot in the basement of a building at work that I go into on a on a I wouldn't say a regular basis, but on an occasional basis. Um, and usually when I'm going down there, it's because I'm trying to troubleshoot something and I'm trying and it's a server room uh, and I'm trying to deal with some different things down there. And I want to talk to people and, and help get some troubleshooting advice on different things. And um, and there is Wi-Fi down in there. And so I'm able to use the Hangouts application to send and receive voice calls uh, while down there over the Wi-Fi. Which of course is is still a very nice function to have, and it's it's unfortunate that Verizon is not talking about implementing that, and it's unfortunate that AT and T is not going to be doing it until next year because it is very handy in certain cases to be able to do that. But uh, certainly I understand it, and there are workarounds. I'm the one that's choosing to stick with Verizon, and I can also choose to send and receive uh, or make and receive calls over Google Voice, over Wi-Fi, through Hangouts. It is very nice. I've been doing it for a while. 
and uh, it's 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 great to be able to do and, and, and really relatively easy as well. So, but uh, great news there for Android users. Hangouts uh, is now basically your SMS application, one location for everything, which is really cool. And a Google Voice for iPhone has been updated. Also from Google, the Android Maker has extended the time during which device owners can process a refund for app purchases. It is now two hours. Google used to allow only 15 minutes to decide if an application was worthy of keeping. According to Google, users will see a refund button in the my app section of the play store during the 120 minute window after they purchase an app once the refund button disappears the app can no longer be returned for a refund device owners will still be able to uninstall unwanted apps of course at any time Amazon's mobile application received an update this week, bringing Prime Instant Video streaming to Android smartphones. To enable streaming, download the Prime Instant Video Player, available exclusively in Amazon's App Store. Prime members in the U.S. can stream unlimited Prime Instant Video from inside the Android app using the Prime Instant Video Player, including HBO shows, uh, The Sopranos, Boardwalk Empire, and The Wire. The app is free, but requires a subscription to Amazon Prime. Moving on, questions and comments this week. First up is a comment from Tom. He says, hi, I'm following up on Mel's voicemail from last week. I use an application called Keeper from KeeperSecurity.com. It backs up and syncs with the cloud. It keeps your devices up to date with the latest information and can generate passwords for you as well. Uh, Thanks, Tom. Uh, Tom, thank you very much for this. Uh, This was in response to Mel's question about what password application service that can be used across platform. Keeper from Keeper Security is Tom's recommendation. Next up is a question from Brent. He says, Mickey, I'm currently using the iPhone 5. I'm due for an upgrade to the 6, but I have no idea whether I should get the 4.7 or 5.5 inch model. All the tech experts on the podcast I listen to are going with the 5.5 inch is bigger, better for what it's worth. I also own a Galaxy Note 2 and was never too crazy about the size, though I always was a bit large. uh, It was always a bit large. Apple's big phone design is more elegant than Samsung's, so I'm not sure if it's a fair comparison. I'm also confused. Thanks. Uh, I don't know which size to get Brent. Uh, Well, here's the deal, Brent. Um, You know, when I first saw these both uh, announced, of course, I looked at it and I said, okay, well, it is bigger, probably, you know, better battery life, uh, optical image stabilization, uh, bigger screen, better resolution, all of these things. I'll go for the bigger phone. And then I started thinking about it more and, and I actually went back to my uses of the note. And that was exactly what it was that pushed me back to the 4.7 inch size. Now, I'm really excited to get some hands-on time with the 5.5-inch model, and I'm going to try and keep a very open mind when I do so and uh, thinking about that one here because obviously you've got that that time period to decide if you want to keep that si- that phone that you bought or if you want to upgrade to something bigger. So I'm going to really try and put it through its paces as best I can. And since you have the Note 2, you really know basically the physical size. And, it's, and if it says if you're not crazy about it, then that really just is the indication right there. I mean, obviously, it's uh, going to be a little bit different in functionality. But, you know, I would say the 4.7 model, which, of course, is considerably bigger than the iPhone 5. And, and uh, as I sent it to you, Mickey, there's a PDF floating around that uh, if you print it without, uh, you know, fit to page turned on, you'll get exactly the size of your iPhone 5 right next to the, the 6 and the 6 Plus. So you can physically see how big they are uh, on on a piece of paper, so it's uh, it's something to think about. And I would Im- and I would imagine uh, the the four point seven model is probably the one for you. Yeah, and I would uh, I would probably imagine that that's going to be the, the the correct size for a lot of people. 
Um, that said, what do we know? I mean, people are buying these large devices in droves. People love the bigger screens and stuff. I just personally, I, I think about my day and, and here's the hard part for me because usually when I'm making these decisions, it's, it's on nights, it's on weekends. It's when I've got actually time to sit down and think about it here. But as I was going through my, my week this week, I, I was at a, at a point where I had just back to back stuff for like eight hours long and could not do anything uh, could not think about anything. And what I needed to get on my phone, I was is usually with one hand, you know, walking around with a cup of coffee or trying to eat with it. And I just, I, it's like, I don't have the time to, to figure out a bigger model. And I, I really like the smaller size. And this was one of those things where I said, you know, this current four inch screen is really not all that bad, at least for what I do. Um, it, it, the, even the smaller one wasn't, wasn't that bad. When I, when I got the time and I want to use a bigger screen, I pull out the iPad. I, I, I'm hoping I will eat my words and I'll be happy with the 4.7 inch screen, but I'm still skeptical of it. Yeah, I kind of am too. And it's interesting to think about uh, I just thought it when you uh, mentioned that, you know, we had the iPhone, original iPhone, the 3G, then the uh, 3GS and then the iPhone 4 and the iPhone 4S. All of those had the same screen size, the 3.5 inch screen. And then we went to the iPhone 5, we jumped to four inches iPhone 5S stayed at four, but now we're already jumping in size again already, only after just basically, you know, the two two years. Yeah. And, I, you know, they're just looking at what everyone else is selling and and uh, seeing that people are buying them and that they're they're not turned off by the smaller sizes. And so they're going with it as well. That said, there's two phones that are that are brand new and bigger, but they're still selling two phones that are smaller. Right. That's stuff that we're not hearing about is, you know, you still can buy an iPhone 5S, which is an excellent phone. Excellent processor, great speeds. It doesn't have NFC, but once the the iWatch or the Apple Watch comes out, you'll be able to pair it with that and, and do that and take advantage of that very nicely. In fact, interestingly, until the watch comes out or uh, uh, basically after the watch comes out, how many people... Uh, are going to be jumping on the watch and be using that anyway, uh, just because it's right there and it's much easier than pulling your phone out when it goes to time to make a payment. You'll have the functionality in your phone, but you won't necessarily be using it. So, uh, anyway, some interesting stuff there. And and you know, I would uh, I would going back to it, I would say, Brent, uh, you know, I would go for the 4.7 if you've got any hesitation about the bigger model and you can always uh, bring it back and trade it up if you decide that you made a made a bad choice there that is the nice part about it next up a question from wallace he says mickey and joey i am not a fan of ios i probably never will be currently i'm using the lg g flex and the note 3 so i like bigger phones having said that i'm having hardware envy for the first time over an apple product the iphone 6 plus how hard would it be for apple to have an iphone like that running on android the phone looks immaculate Thanks as always, Wallace. Uh, this is a real quick answer for you here. It's it's not going to happen, Wallace. Apple is just way too invested in this here. They're not going to make hardware that's going to run on Android. No, the the only thing you can hold out hope for is uh, an Android uh, device manufacturer will create a device that looks a lot more like the iPhone uh, six plus design. Yeah, that's 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 about all we can say about it. Apple's not going to do it. That's for sure. Next up, a question from Evan. He says, hey, cell phone junkies, longtime listener. Absolutely love the show. I have a quick question for you. Currently have the Nexus 5. I'm using it on an AT&T family plan. As I'm not on a contract and my service has been pretty spotty since I moved, I've been looking at either uh, switching over to the AT- to AT&T, T-Mobile, or even uh, Sprint, or moving from AT&T to T-Mobile or even Sprint. 
From my understanding, the Nexus 5 will work with all three carriers, but I'm thinking about the $30 T-Mobile plan that you guys mention every now and again, and I'm not sure if 100 minutes will be enough. I discovered Target's Bright Spot, which uses T-Mobile and it only costs $35 for 300 minutes and unlimited text and data. Do you or any of your listeners have any experience with Bright Spot? Since it's no contract, I'm not too concerned if I try it and don't like it, but I'd like to see if any of your listeners have any comments about it. Also, if you have any other suggestions on prepaid plans to try out, I'm up for more. Uh, Thanks for a great show every week, Evan. Uh, you know, Evan, so first off here, with the exception of Sprint, um, the Nexus 5 is, is, is not compatible from Sprint from my understanding here. But otherwise, you should be good to go. Uh, keep in mind that unlimited data on Brightspot is uh, at 2G speeds after you use 3 gigs of data. So keep that in mind. But otherwise, you should be good to go. And also that uh, $30 T-Mobile plan with 100 minutes only has 5 gigs of data. So it's not a lot less. And of course, that gives you a, a good chunk more minutes. And uh, keep in mind, as we just talked about in the software section, that Google Voice now allows for calling over Hangouts, over data. So if it if the minutes is an issue for you, perhaps you can use your um, you can you can use your a Google Voice number and have that be your primary number, and then you're doing all of your calls over data anyway. Yeah, and actually, uh, my wife does it with her iPad Mini uh, Retina. She just basically uses that now as her phone. Uh, she doesn't even really carry the cell phone much at all, and she's been giving out her Google Voice number for years now. So basically, all of her calls come in uh, through that number. It's absolutely amazing how that all just kind of works, and it's actually pretty smooth, and it sounds great. I like the call quality quite a bit of it. So check that out. Uh, but otherwise, I think you're probably going to be just fine if you uh, if you go to Bright Spot there. Uh, so anyway, hopefully that works out for you. Let us know how it goes, Evan. Next up, a question from Dominic. He says, guys, uh, I know you're aware uh, of the iPhone announcement and uh, Mickey, I see you've pre-ordered your phone. I know you guys like the iPhones because of the size and I have a few coworkers that say the same thing. So here are my questions. How do you feel about the new size? Also, hypothetically, if Apple just started to sell the iPhone 6 plus only indefinitely in the next year, would you stay with the iPhone or would you go with another manufacturer? If you would change, who would it be and why? Thanks for the podcast. It's invaluable. It has saved me lots of money as it has others. Keep up the awesome work. Good question, Dominic. I, I kind of love the hypothetical stuff like this. If, if all they ever did was now switch over and sell a phone that was 5.5 inches, yeah, I would absolutely have to consider other devices that are out there right now. If I if I had to make a choice and I had to put some money down on something, it would probably be the Moto X, the new version of it. It is a little bit bigger, but uh, ultimately I like the design quite a bit. Um, in fact, now that I think about it, it's only what three tenths of an inch smaller than the new six plus. So so maybe that is uh, you know maybe that's enough. Not not the right one here. Uh, next one I would take a look at is HTC. The new One M8 is just gorgeous hardware. I love that design. Uh, overall, it looks uh, pretty good. I've had hands-on time with it just just a little bit, just a couple minutes, but but generally was was pretty impressed with that one as well. So um, yes, I would absolutely have to consider whether or not I would stay with them, and uh, those would be my choices. Next up, comment from Greg. He says, Mickey and Joey, I wanted to share with everyone my experience that I had on Friday trying to pre-order an iPhone 6. I found out that on AT&T's site, they're offering a $200 credit when trading in an iPhone 5, 4S, and even a 4. Well, I just so happened to have a 4 laying around. I went into the closest store at about 10 minutes after it opened, and there were already seven people in front of me. So after waiting for about 40 minutes, I finally spoke to someone. He flat out denied that it applied to the iPhone 4 and rudely stated so. He said that I could only get a $200 discount for my iPhone 5S. Then he smugly asked what I was going to do for my daily device as I was having to hand over my current phone to him 
time, and I'd be without it for about two weeks. He then went on to talk about how Apple's manufacturing and their numbers as to how many phones they were making this time, and I knew he was completely making the stuff up. Then I threw in that I'm a developer, which is only slightly true on my part, but he's also still talking down to me and seemed less interested in hearing what I was having to say. So I walk out, and as I'm walking back, I check the site on my phone again to see, and lo and behold, it does clearly state that the iPhone 4 is part of the process. So I walk back in and tell the check-in girl that their their site clearly says the iPhone 4 and that I want to trade it in now. She said rather passively, okay, that there's seven people in front of you and then it'll be another 45 minutes. So I'm still upset, but fine, whatever. About five minutes later, the assistant manager came over and apologized, and I told him my ordeal, and he helped me out big time. I traded in the phone, and I got the $200 gift card so that I was going to use that to purchase the device. However, after another half hour, another rep in there is there to go ahead with the purchase for me. After about 20 minutes of fighting with the system, as he'd only been on the job for a couple of weeks and couldn't operate the iPad, that the employees used to do so he had to leave me and get a supervisor for assistance five times before we could go ahead with the purchase i finally gave him the gift card and after several attempts it wouldn't take the supervisor then came over and told me that the gift card wouldn't work for trade-ins i had no choice that if i wanted to buy it then and there i'd have to use a full credit card the supervisor said that i had uh, to pay now or to lose my spot in the pre-order queue. I could return after my phone after the phones were launched and try to buy it then, but whatever, they'd already be back over ordered. I chose to pay and figured that the main point was getting the $200 for an iPhone 4, which I had already ahead of the game. Yesterday, I tried to use that card in Dunkin' Donuts for a purchase, and it was declined. Now I have to go back to AT&T and figure out what I can just use this card for. I'll follow up with you and let you know what happens with the card. Love the show, Greg. Well, Greg, thanks for, for that. You know, it, it is so frustrating sometimes as you've got all these different promotions and things that are pushed out. And, uh, you know, sometimes you do have these occasional hiccups that happen. Uh, I've experienced them. I know most of our listeners have as well. Um, you also will have the experiences well, things will go very smoothly. Uh, and uh, so ultimately, it's it's one of those things. Yeah, I, in this AT&T card, this may be something you can only use with AT&T. I'm not exactly sure what kind of debit card it is, but it may be something you just apply to your bill and move on. It looks like that's about all it's for. Just I, I just pulled up the AT&T website. It looks like it's just for uh, AT&T, so it probably can only be used for uh, applying to your account. Which is still, you're ahead of the game when you're doing that. You're going to get essentially a free month or maybe two months of service, depending on how much, uh, how much it is that, you're, you know, that, that, that your bill is every month. So, uh, but thanks for sending that in, Greg. Very interesting to, uh, to hear those comments. Next up is a question from Neil. He says, hi, it's Neil in St. Paul. I'm wondering what the best value plan would be for just talk and text. I've been looking at Walmart's family mobile plan. The unlimited talk and text is $25 for the first line. And then after that, $20. But I don't know what to do. Right now, I have a 2G flip phone on T-Mobile that the voice quality is quite bad. I saw that T-Mobile Galaxy Avant just got an update for voiceover LTE. Would that voiceover LTE work with Walmart Mobile? Thanks, Neil. Uh, well, Walmart Mobile's offerings are interesting. You know, they are very cheap, as uh, you mentioned. They're twenty-five dollars for the first line, then it drops down to only twenty bucks a line thereafter for uh, just talk and text. Um, they operate on the T-Mobile network, um, but I don't think that all of those features that T-Mobile has for their postpaid options are going to filter through to the MVNOs, at least not right away. No, just just like LTE. I don't know if even T-Mobile uh, MVNOs are using their LTE network yet. Just like we saw, a couple of them have started to switch over and certain 
certain carriers, but I'm not sure if that's available quite yet for them. So yeah, with the you know with the the T-Mobile side of things, you kind of almost have to pick your your carrier and then decide what MVNO you want to go with for unlimited talk and text. Uh, you know, here in St. Paul, Sprint is okay, but I don't know if I'd recommend it. So I'd kind of stick on that T-Mobile side to probably stay a little bit cheaper. And and uh, with the Walmart plans, uh, so far no problem with like with straight talk. I'm not sure if that's the one you're referring to, but there's a, they've got a few of them now. And and uh, like we mentioned earlier, the Target Bright Spot may be an option. So it's uh yeah, it's pretty much ones you have to kind of just try them out to see if they give you the support that you want. And not all the devices, um, you know, that are out there that have voice over LTE are going to be functional right away with T-Mobile either. There's, uh, you know, there's an update here for the Galaxy Avant, but doesn't necessarily mean that uh, that every other voice over LTE phone is going to is going to work right away. T-Mobile's offering some different trade-in programs and stuff like that. But again, these are all post-paid type of programs that are out there. So, um, and further, and as I'm thinking about your question here. It's unlimited talk and text, but that's that's got to be at a max on the 3G network, on the HSPA network. It, it, this is not filtering through to voice over LTE. So I'm I'm almost would guarantee that this is this is not going to work for you. No, and and it really wouldn't matter in in most cases. Right. So keep in mind that whatever you do with. Uh, with an MVNO that's on uh, T-Mobile, like Walmart family, is going to have the, the exact same coverage as what you have with regular T-Mobile. So just keep that in mind as you're making that choice. Next one, a comment from Remington. He says, Mickey and Joey, I wanted to leave a comment about Google Voice integration with Hangouts calls over Wi-Fi and LTE. They have been great, and I can even now send MMS. The only drawback is that you cannot send SMS with your Google number through the app and cannot receive calls through the Hangouts dialer. I did find a workaround that if you start a new message in the old Google Voice app, it will send it to that number. Uh, it is then kind of cumbersome and a step back, but hopefully it's a simple enough fix for people. Thanks and love the show, Remington. Remington, thank you for that. Uh, yes, it is kind of weird that you can't do that, but ultimately it is uh, it is something that once I guess once you get a conversation started, you're, you're pretty much good to go. Finally today, a comment from Mike. He says, Mickey and Joey, two quick comments. I uh, love the show. Number one, I wasn't taken to a back uh, with the iOS 8 announcement. And, uh, and one feature I would like to see is the obvious one that is FaceTime voice mail i'm unclear why apple wouldn't allow this since they want to make facetime such a standard video calling feature why not introduce video voicemail which is i believe already available in an app like tango number two i just downloaded the ios application for the cell phone junkie and it is not ios 7 compatible <laughs> it is after we've just talked about this it does not render my entire iphone 5s screen when will you be upgrading mike uh first up mike the uh the ios 8 announcement yeah i never really thought about that that on facetime you can't leave a voicemail for people it would be great if you could do so uh and have that tie into some sort of visual voicemail or something like that i would imagine at some point that type of feature will be available it just is is not today as far as our upgrades i've asked our app developers um these are our app as well as the apps of all the other wizard media uh podcast podcasts that are out there are all based on the same platform so i'll see what i can find out and we will report back on a future show because yes absolutely we would love to see that upgrade happen for us yeah, exactly. Even though it doesn't really matter because normally you don't really look at the screen when you're uh, when you're listening to the podcast, so it's not a huge deal. But of course, it would be in, it would be ideal to have the new screen sizes even for the six and six plus supported as well. 
Absolutely. And uh, Mike, like I said, I've uh, already reached out here and uh, we'll hopefully hear back soon and be able to report back on that. Well, we had a lot of questions this week. We weren't able to get all of them on. Uh, some of you have re- replied back to individually from your, your questions and comments and voicemails and everything that you had. Uh, but we're at 75 minutes here, so we're going to cut it off for the day. We may get one or two of you on the show next week, but a lot of excitement uh, over iOS and uh, the new iPhones that are out now. And uh, many of us will have our new phones for next weekend. So we look forward to talking about those when uh, when that time comes around. If you have any questions or comments for us, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, questions at the cell phone junkie.com or uh, voicemails can be left by calling 206-203-3734 and we'll get whatever you have to say on a future show. Joey, thank you very much as always for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.